This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Bishop Fox, the gold standard in software security testing, code reviews, and penetration testing. Visit us at bishopfox.com to learn more about the services we offer. Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is Sinan Erin, uh, founder and CEO of a new company called Fide, F-Y-D-E. Fide is in the mobile phishing, mobile vishing, and all this uh, mobile security space. Uh, very strange name. Where does Fide come from? Great question, Ryan. Thanks for having me on your cast. Uh, so, yeah, I was sitting, I believe it was June, a uh, nice, uh, nice California summer. I was sitting outside listening to NPR, and this was, I believe, the second iteration of the, the immigration ban from the Trump administration. And uh, the, 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 the journalist was continuously saying the term bona fide relations to an American person, bona fide relations to an American person, and that's how uh, I picked up the word bona fide, being good faith. But also, if you dig a little bit deeper into the Latin meaning, it also has a sense of uh, the word trust. Right, uh, but then we looked up, of course, uh, the Latin writing "fide," uh, that is the World Chess Federation. So we go with the what most Silicon Valleyers do: <laughs> throw the I, put in a Y, ended up being "fide." <laughs> so we have Donald Trump to blame. That totally, yeah, that was his contribution to my life, at least uh, for for the time being. And what yeah. I- what is "fide"? Uh, uh, so FIDE is a solution to prevent uh, phishing, smishing, and wishing uh, targeting mobile devices, right? We can talk about uh, whether this is a, a growing problem or a subdued problem, or, you know, do you see it every day or do you see it once in a month, a year? Uh, but genesis for FIDE uh, to become what it is today was basically my first elections as an American citizen basically end up being tied to what I consider to be phishing, right? I mean, the, jo- the John Podesta incident of, of the DNC essentially was a very well-executed phishing attack, uh, targeted a, a mobile real estate, narrow real estate, easy to, you know, hard to fix, uh, hard to miss uh, that the information contained in such a narrow space, uh, and led to the whole WikiLeaks, uh, this, you know, the disclosure of the, of the uh, Podesta inbox, right? So for us uh, and a couple of my co-founders, I would consider that to be when we started thinking that it is a it is a gap in the market that there is a need for a, a more robust phishing solution, especially on mobile, because there's a lot of you know very good solutions that do mail. Uh, you have all these mail gateways um, that work at scale, they've been around for 10, 15 years, uh, but there wasn't anything for the out-of-band communications channels like instant messaging, text messaging. So we wanted to we wanted to address that. Uh, I tend to judge problems based on my own experience, uh, which is completely a terrible way to look at things, but this is mm-hmm. just how I do. I don't see phishing attacks on, on my mobile device. I don't get mm-hmm. phishing, uh, this kind of voice phishing attacks that people talk about. Am I in a mini- uh, minority? No, no, you might have a good point there. It might be, we might be a bit ahead of the curve and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but, you know, uh, also it really defi- it, it really depends on the, your definition of phishing, right? So let's go and explore a couple other uh, ones. So IRS tech scams, how would you categorize those, right? Now they throw in the voicemail phishing. So voice-based phishing is in wishing, right? So you'll get these calls about, hey, you owe money to IRS. So how do we categorize it? And is this something that people see? Yes, they do. I mean, there, there is a significant volume of these. 
the one that I was personally uh, witnessed uh, to one of my coworkers was a back then it was called the INS uh, when you have do your immigration, immigration papers right. and your green card, right? Uh, they they called you up and they wanted payment right on the spot. Otherwise, you were going to go back on the queue for your for your uh, perm green card application. So a lot of these voice based ones are, you know, very active. Fake AV ones. I'm sure you know somebody that was targeted by a. I don't fake see AV. them though on my phone. I know they exist. I've seen the screenshots. I've seen the marketing material put out by Lookout right. and some other vendors and so on. But right. I'm, I'm, uh, I personally enough. don't see it. And, and I I standardize on iPhone, so maybe Android folks are seeing it. But no, no. I mean, think about the phone call that you're receiving. You're going to receive it on your mobile phone, right? So when it comes to blocking phone numbers, there is still work to be done there, right? So there's these call centers. Uh, actually, think about the whole easy access, democratized access to uh, 1-800 numbers online or SMS uh, gateways, text message gateways like Twilio and Nexmo. Any, any schmuck with a stolen credit card or even you know $10 free account can send out hundreds of thousands of text messages. So I think the, the barrier of entry is pretty, pretty low. Uh, yes, uh, you might not personally witness a lot every day or every week. Maybe, maybe uh, you might not have ever witnessed one, but you would find somebody in your circle that was called uh, by an 800 number or received a text message that might be about, not always, by the way, going after your financial institution. It, it's sometimes lottery, right? Hey, you own an Amazon gift card for $1,000. Uh, just take the survey, fill out this form, and um, you know, uh, we'll only charge you shipping and handling, and you'll receive it. Uh, a couple others are travel-based scams. Uh, you'll get a um, from your own network, from a trusted party. You'll get a, a WhatsApp message telling that if you share this with 20 of your contacts, uh, you might be eligible to win an Alaska Air ticket. So these are all forms of phishing uh, that might have you know different vectors, different way of spreading. Uh, they might use different trust chains, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it is what, what we believe is a, is a growing problem. Uh, we might be ahead of the curve, but I think, uh, I think we had this debate with you before. Uh, with the ISification, with the sandboxing of a lot more platforms, attackers are going to shift away from ransomware and malware or binary-based, executable-based attack vectors to more you know, uh, more d deception, social engineering-based vectors. So, yes, uh, you might not see it every day, uh, but eventually uh, there's going to be a, a, you know, exponential growth in these kind of tricks, attacks. Okay, so I've been using the fight app for about a month. A um, mm -hmm. couple of things I wanted to ask about. You, you're you marketing it and positioning it as an app for people to bank, uh, bank with confidence, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, suggesting uh, that you're... Your sweet spot is in the financial tech space. Um, it's not necessarily something you'll make. Uh, you'll make your money on, on the consumer side. Are you also protecting uh, phishing via WhatsApp, messengers, all the other uh, places beyond just those uh, uh, banking apps that are running on my phone? Yeah, so banking apps more the, the whitelisting approach within the app. So mm -hmm. basically when you launch a, a custodian retail bank, uh, they resolve a bunch of domain names. They make a bunch of connections to different IP ranges. We tried to whitelist uh, white those. Uh, right, and anything names. outside yeah. of that list, you will you will trigger an alert on. Exactly. We use canneries, meaning that we make calls to known entities that we whitelisted, and we check whether there's an interception, whether the DNS is being spoofed, whether the the certificate that we receive is not uh, the right one. Uh, you know, so 
that's the whitelisting approach. On the other side, uh, you know, whenever you click on a on a on a, on a link, uh, you know, we, we, we intercept DNS. Uh, we have content filters for for browsers. So at that level, we can protect uh, basically uh, any kind of phishing attack. It doesn't have to be financial. We show a lot more, uh, I would say, attention to financials. You know, all these uh, lexical analysis and LP analysis that we can do on the device level are more more geared towards detecting financial fraud, financial phishing attacks. But if, if uh, let's say, um, a, a phishing link is in our blacklist uh, for travel, for airliner, that will also trigger, of course. And you, the, the, the user experience is that you cover the username and password field completely. So it completely blocks the user from making the error of, of entering credentials. We, we drop the connection. Yeah, you won't be able to send any anything to that site. I mean, your browser won't load it anymore. Okay, now we got to talk about VPN. Mm-hmm. I installed a Fight app, it's running, and I get an icon notification at the top, top, top left of my screen. You know, that little VPN box there that tells me a VPN is running. Is mm-hmm. a full VPN running? Is this, is this uh, encrypting all traffic on my device? No, yeah, that's that's a very important point, and uh, we've been basically uh, going back and forth and trying to figure out uh, whether the right uh, way for us to go forward is to show the VPN icon or obscure it somehow. We or become a VPN sh- provider. We are not a VPN provider. Let's be clear about that. We are using the VPN subsystem to inspect network traffic locally on the device, and this was a very conscious decision from the very beginning. We did not want to be at another VPN provider. There, are, there's ton of latency. Uh, there's a huge battery overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, so we are experienced with even the best VPN player out there that scaled to 20, 30, maybe even 100 million users. Uh, they do lack a, a, you know, an, an important, um, an important. You know, think about it this way: uh, you're going the last mile. Our mobile carriers are already problematic as is. Adding additional latency and overhead to that network traffic isn't, wasn't something that we wanted to do. So we're using the VPN subsystem as a proxy that runs locally on the device, and that's where we inspect the traffic. Okay, but I want yeah. I want all my traffic routed. I want to run a traditional yeah. VPN, let's say PIE or whatever. My, you, you just mentioned there's hundreds of them. Uh, yeah. if, if I turn that on, does it automatically turn off FIDE? Yes. So uh, if so I want to run my phone in VPN mode all, all, all day long and I, I'm, I'm taking on the, the overhead, battery overhead, that's a risk I'm willing to take or that's, mm-hmm. a, you know, that's a comfort zone I'm willing to, uh, to accept. That means FIDE isn't working anymore. Yeah, the iOS will switch the, the cor- to, the, to the correct VPN profile and that will kick in. Uh, but I want to underline something. I mean, uh, so for us, for example, trying to convey a, a false narrative about how your banking applications can be intercepted, how your social media applications can be intercepted because of a rogue Wi-Fi or, 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 a, or a you know rogue network is false, right? Everything at this point pins their certificates. SSL, TLS at this point is pretty much uh, implemented correctly for a lot of these applications. You know, you're using WhatsApp, you're using Signal, you're using uh, pick any uh, social media application, uh, you know, high-profile social media application. So what is the value of that, really? Uh, you know, our concern was not to solve the men-in-the-middle problem. That's not what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do, do is that we want to help you with out-of-band attacks, right, which are basically phishing that is distributed through instant messaging, text messaging, email, uh, you name it. You'll get a LinkedIn 
prospect asking you to collaborate on something, you get a Dropbox links, uh, link in there. While the traffic itself to LinkedIn through the LinkedIn application is, is safe and secure, the certificates, Excel certificates are pinned, uh, the communication that you're receiving within that channel might be the problem, right? So that's what we wanted to address. But I do understand your concern. Uh, but but I but I guess we we have to say this that iOS only gives you certain tools to work with. Right. Well, that's that, that's um, the yeah. next segue into my next part of the conversation is right. let's talk about that because uh, mm -hmm. help me understand where uh, what kind of freedoms third parties have uh, on iOS. I know the AV providers have long complained they can't provide a a full-fledged AV for iOS because Apple stops and Apple provides certain limits. Can you help me understand what are those limits and, and, and why I can go into the iOS app store and see hundreds of security uh, tools, small security tools uh, mm -hmm. pr protecting various things, but uh, the anti-malware guys can't get access. What do they allow and what do they don't allow? I'm glad that the anti-malware guys are kept out uh, because they will break the very robust operating system safety security boundaries. Uh, pretty much everything is sandboxed, are, are, is behind the sandbox profile on iOS. Even privileged applications that, run, that might be running as root will run with a profile, will run with a sandbox profile, meaning that they can only access what they need to access. And they keep tightening those across the operating system uh, versions. So opening this robot, robust operating system to a third-party AV that wants to access all, all the file system, all the processes, all the network is a terrible idea, right? So I'm glad Apple is not giving them those uh, privileges and permissions. Now, that doesn't mean that you cannot get creative. So that's exactly what we did. Uh, we took in the VPN uh, subsystem uh, and we are running it inside the Apple mandated sandbox using the documented APIs. It's just that we find a clever trick to do it in a way that we can, instead of routing it to a VPN server, we're inspecting the traffic and releasing it back to the network. That's a simple, what we consider to be a genius uh, of, our, of our approach, right? You don't have to send it to a server. We don't care if we have three users or 30 million users. They all do this inspection on their own device using the sandbox uh, VPN subsystem. So if you want to go in and bring the old narrative of, you know, we want to be at a privileged position, we want to detonate, we want to parse out all every file, every packet that comes into the iPhone, it's a bad idea. It shouldn't be allowed anyway. So, so actually, we do think that you can build a security product on top of Apple, and it will be actually the recommended way, I would say, that we should be building security tools. Uh, if, if, you know, if, if we can go back to our discussion maybe a good 10 years ago, uh, why is the AV parses are not sandbox, right? We are parsing network traffic, but we're in a sandbox that Apple mandated us to be running in that sandbox. Why is it that AV still runs a system or root and is detonating files and is parsing complex data structures, uh, parsing basically the entire, you know, TCP IP stack, you know, parsing complex data structures like TLS, ASN1, all in a privileged position. So I'm actually glad that Apple... Well, you've heard that argument. You've heard their argument as to why yeah. they need to be there. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an open source Chrome sandbox. Let's take it and use it, right? So I am actually quite satisfied with uh, the challenge, the constraint Apple put in front of us. Because once we start thinking about the whole phishing, uh, you know, um, mobile phishing story, uh, you know, as I said, after the, the whole uh, DNC debacle, we were thinking, okay, if we can solve this for iOS with the constraint, then, no, it's fine. That, that means we have something here. 
And, and now we're thinking about it like, okay, uh, the constraints actually helped us build this, which actually the constraints protects us from opening a new attack surface. So this should be the way. I mean, if we are we are on the process of porting to Android, uh, it's it's uh, right. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Why why yeah. why did you decide to go iOS first when it's 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 industry recognized that mm-hmm. the need is stronger on Android, where you know it, it's a lot more open. It's a lot uh, you know people can download apps from anywhere. The, the risk is higher. That that that's a fair fair uh, fair statement. Uh, first, uh, we wanted to do this for, as I mentioned, the constraints that iOS have. If we could get it done, we knew that we could port it to Android. So that was the main reason. So let's do it for iOS, not because iOS users are in more need. It's just that if we could get it done for iOS, we'll then it's easier porting, right? Exactly. And we are just porting right now. Uh, it's, it's a class platform uh, tool in that sense. We're just porting to Android. And also, you know, uh, I guess the, the you know, um, the, the, the elephant in the room is that Android is super fragmented. It's tough to test. Yeah, we can ship it out for all the Samsung and Pixel devices, but what about all the other ones, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about all the Huawei's and the, you know, Xiaomi's? Of it's the much more complicated, right? Exactly. So testing takes a lot longer. Would you run or, or give your mom an iPhone to run in default state out of the box and do banking and do... Uh, you know, financial uh, uh, transactions on an iPhone out of the box without third-party security tools? Uh, I would say I need to train her, bring her to a certain awareness because, so for example, uh, my mom lives in Istanbul uh, and in Turkey, the banks communicate. Okay, uh, would you give my mom a phone? Okay. I'm I'm trying to get the sense of, uh, in in default state, the way I buy the phone. Should my mom... And let's uh, anyone's mom mm-hmm. install Citibank Bank of America app on the phone and do banking transactions uh, uh, on a default iPhone out of the box. Yes, uh, that's perfectly fine. The only thing I will, however, tell them is that uh, SMS uh, text message is going to be a problem. Uh, they could easily fall for these kind of tricks. Uh, mm-hmm. They are extremely well executed. And especially in APAC and Europe, uh, their uh, SMS gateways are a lot more modern. So you can actually spoof uh, sender IDs. You can put alphanumeric uh, names to the text messages. My so mom is already lost. Hmm? My mom is already lost when I'm trying I, I to explain this to them. So you, you yeah. see where I'm going with the question, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes and no. Yes, uh, they could use a city app uh, safely. I, it's a very robust platform. They're not going to be downloading a fake banking app but they could be fished through SMS because banks do use SMS as a communication method. And that, that is the problem that we see. That's would, why we actually created FIDE. Would you let your mom or my mom run an Android phone in default state and do banking on it? No, especially an OEM one. No, I would not. I have no idea what kind of, um, what is the term, you know, all these default bundled applications that comes with it. Um, right. And then you don't know from carrier to carrier. It's different. You pick exactly, up a phone out of the exactly. box. It's it's all different devices. Yeah, I, I, I would not. I mean, it's going to come up with a ton of crap where uh, that, you, that does not belong to the stock Android. And I have no way of knowing what kind of hooks they have. So, no. What does that tell us about the state of mobile security when these are the two major platforms competing almost head to head? When you can, you can tell my mom, sure, run this one, but, you know, be aware of a couple of small things. And mm-hmm. in the other side, you're like, no chance. You should run a banking app or do any sort of, of financial critical 
uh, uh, transactions on an Android device. What does that tell us about the state of play when we are trying to make sure we don't have a monoculture where one app is totally dominant? We need this kind of diversity, but one is just clearly not ready. Yeah, I mean, Android is actually a pretty robust platform. They also did take uh, a lot of these sandboxing and even code signing is kind of built, but not perhaps, uh, you know, enabled in a, in a fashion that uh, that is um, that's much that that is similar to iOS. Right. They have they have all the all the exploit resiliency, all the, you know, uh, separation and, and robustness built into operating system. However, the problem is the OEMs. Right. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I've, I've I would argue my, that 90% of all Android apps out there are, are running a, 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 a version of the operating system that's unpatched for something that's known and public mm-hmm. for a long time. Let, let, let me go back to my first answer. I would probably be okay with a Google Pixel, right? Uh, that's fair. Was, yeah, you know, it's not an OEM. I know that, you know, people are not paying to bundle their uh, applications, you know, all these other ones, they, they will be paying the OEMs to bundle their VPN, they will be paying, the, you know, uh, third parties to, uh, you know, put some app that will be tracking your, you know, application launch, uh, your network traffic, uh, you know, they, they will find creative way to monetize you, right? Uh, so if it comes from maybe uh, Google, it, it will be much more of a stock Android, and I, I will be more comfortable with that. Right, and they push their own updates on a on a, on, right. on a more predictable basis, easier to update, easier to keep it patched. That's right. Let me ask you. Let me put you on the spot. Um, the the problems that you are solving and some of the other security vendors on iOS are solving. Uh, I could make the argument that this should be Apple's task. Like I should buy my phone and get Apple to handle uh, phishing, vishing, and all smishing. What all these fancy terms mm-hmm. out of my stock? iOS device. Do you worry about creating a business, uh, uh, an adjoining business there when, you know, Apple might be able to roll this out in a year? Sure. This is the great uh, commercialization pro- uh, question that you will get from any invested type, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 it's 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 a uh, it's a it's a right to ask this, right? Why 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 is it not the platform's business to do this? And it is, right? So the the uh, the answer that we give to this question is that okay. I mean, there's a ton of wall gardens. Uh, okay, maybe Apple might be doing that, but how about uh, the in-app instant messaging that LinkedIn has, right? Uh, what about, you know, WhatsApp? What about all the other platforms that build their own messaging? Well, uh, the, that, same way yeah. the same way you're protecting it, should right. Apple protect it the same way? Sure, they should. But uh, does that mean that it's going to go into Android? Does it mean that it's going to go to other platforms? So. We have this, uh, well, I mean, if you think about it, Google uh, Safe Search uh, or Safe Browse is, is trying to do something similar, right? They want to bundle this with every browser. But now the question is, uh, can you find a platform or, 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 or an application that, that is not protected by this, is a, is a blind spot, right? Uh, so there's always going to be some need for security vendors to bridge those, you know, walled gardens. Uh, you might have the similar experience that you might have on your Apple, on your Android, on your Chromebook. But you're, you're, you know, you're 100% right. Uh, it's their job. Uh, they should be fixing it at scale. And security eventually is going to be commoditized. Nobody will be paying for it. There's no doubt for that. Uh, but so so you, your answer to the investor, well, Apple will mm-hmm. be the exit. Yeah, sure. Uh, that would be nice. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I'm telling them that, you know, we are paying attention. This is our core focus, right? So the question is that who's going to do something meaningful at scale first, 
And now is that going to be a build or a buy decision for somebody like Apple at that point, right? That's that's kind of the the the, the name, you know, that's kind of the game. But in reality, your existing market is with the financial institutions uh, to mm-hmm. perhaps bundle a thing with their whatever their add-on security things they offer to end users. Is that a, an OEM option? Distribution option, exactly. Uh, we would like to monetize through them. Uh, we do not want to charge anything to the end user. We want to keep it free forever for personal mm-hmm. use. Uh, the new kids on the block, I guess, uh, you know, the the cryptocurrency folks and exchanges and wallets uh, are a lot more open. The logical place, right? Exactly. And uh, they see this proportionate amount of phishing. Uh, they seem to be they quick movers. Uh, they seem to be open to adapting new technologies and especially, you know, doubling down on their security efforts. Uh, we'll, we'll work with retail custodian banks of the last century, of course. Uh, but that's uh, that's uh, there's, there's a lot more friction there. So we'll we'll, we'll uh, start strong on, I would say, protecting the cryptocurrency and other new financial uh, solutions like, you know, there's in Asia, for example, there's mobile banking, right? Purely mobile banking. There are no branches. Uh, nothing else. Everything uh, operates throughout your mobile phone. So those are the the main customers that uh, that we're building up the platform. You are a super interesting guy. Uh, do you remember the first time we met in two thousand and eight? I believe. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Uh, Source Boston. Uh, we were at Source Boston, sitting in a hotel lobby on a couch in a hotel lobby, and you were walking me through your talk that year. And the talk was. Uh, you, at the time, you were an expert writer at Immunity, so you ca- you come from a background, real deep technical background of uh, building out what we now know as APTs uh, from a pen testing standpoint. And your talk was on exploiting mail uh, gateways, AV mail gateways, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the major security risk there, the fact that um, you know they're running a complex parser in, in very very crucial spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a long talk at the time, and you were very, very, very down on AV, as you are right now on this call. You're just uh, you're just talking a little bit about it. However, your your first company you created, Remotium, ended up uh, being sold to an AV provider. All right. Um, and now you're back in the space again, kind of filling a gap that you see AV not solving. Uh, and and I'm, I'm I'm really fascinated by your take on the antivirus landscape. So I'll ask, I'll start right. with this question and let's get into it. Would you put your mom or my mom on a Windows machine, put them on the internet without third-party AV? Definitely. Uh, Out of the box in default yeah, state. I, I think Windows 10 S. I I, I haven't been really um, tracking the different versions of Windows 10, but one of them has code signing enabled by default, so you can only download applications from the Windows Store. That, right, that the version. OSification of the world is coming. Yeah, exactly. So if that's the case, 100%. Defender by itself does whatever it does, um, and it's it's relatively relatively all right from what I hear. I haven't really had a chance to uh, look at whether it uses any, any sort of sandboxing, whether it drops its privileges. Uh, but, um, yeah, no third-party AV, uh, code signing on. Uh, by default, uh, that yes, hundred percent. To when, me, that's, that's Windows uh, ten that's users are still mm-hmm. being smacked by ransomware, though. I mean, the AV guys will argue that there's an entire ecosystem out there where you absolutely need the third-party eyes to spot things, and companies are still being compromised. There's a breach every day um, uh, around. Uh, on Windows, on the Windows platform, still serious vulnerabilities, still exploitable vulnerabilities. And the AV guys will argue that, you know, the majority of the nation-state attacks that we know about were spotted by AV. AV, The AV guys are leading the charge on blocking 
let's call them quote-unquote sophisticated APT threats. How do you balance that if it's useless and and, and not necessary against what we've been seeing and hearing? Well, so if I can get real here for for a moment. Get real. Let's get into it. That's why I was fascinated about having you on this call. Right. So let's think about how ransomware has been distributed right it's leveraging some vulnerability in the in the case of the, the vault 7 or whatever it was called the the leaks from the intelligence agency uh they leverage that exploit right but there is no reason i don't know why we haven't seen it yet uh, it just actually baffles me uh but there's no reason why ransomware couldn't be distributed by using antivirus exploits right think about service or Mandy's work Think about the one, uh, I believe, uh, one of your previous employers. He found a remote exploit uh, that was in the uh, code emulator, and it was basically running x86 code without any memory corruption, without any complex exploitation. It was taking a binary who was, uh, who uh, the binary was pretending to be, you know, um, uh, DRM'd or, 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 or obfuscated by a, a packer, and it was unpacking it, but there was a, a logic flow that you end up executing at system privileges, at the highest privilege of the operating system, you know, executable code, right? X86 code. Right, and uh, the AV say they have to live there. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and I've seen my share of those, actually. I've seen some other AVs that uh, run uh, the actual binary to unpack it, right? They run it as system with uh, some debugging attached to it, some debugging hooks attached to it, in order to dump the, let's say, the peeled binary to the disk so they can scan it, right? So they run something that they just receive as an attachment or downloaded from the web as system, supposedly in a sandbox. But, uh, it, you know, it's it, a couple of them had sandbox. A couple of them didn't even care for the sandbox. The point is, why is ransomware not being distributed by AV? And it will be. I mean, you can take that as a prophecy. <laughs> but it was such a wonderful exploit that you can actually run any binary you want at the most privileged level, leveraging an AV vulnerability. So AV folks come in and making the argument that they put a stop to ransomware and the distribution of ransomware is, uh, I would say, yes, sure. Um, they can they can rely on maybe the, the, the historical um, analogies. They can build on a lot of those, but there is no good reason the next ransomware is not going to target AV. So if you are going to target AV that is, uh, let's say, popular in a certain country, it might be originate from that country, you can take take the whole country off the grid, right? You can use uh, the privileged position of the AV to suck up all the contents uh, of, let's say, your inbox and spam out uh, your, your you know, replication of the same uh, exploit to all your contacts, and it will, it will grow like wildfire. And it is, so to the essence, so, uh, to the essence of my, my proposition is that why is... AV companies have a better SDLC, you know, secure development procedures than, let's say, Microsoft. Who believes that in this day and age? How is an AV company actually produces higher quality uh, code than, say, Microsoft or Google or Apple? I mean, who can believe that, really? It's the same talent pool. They actually underpay a lot uh, compared to Apple and, you know, and, and Microsoft of the world. So who is working in those closed doors in those AV companies and producing C and C++ code that runs at the most privileged part of the operating system? And by the way, I don't want to single out AV. Let's pick up any network security uh, appliance. The same thing. They detonate a ton of stuff, right? Uh, they, they parse a ton of complex data structures. And why are these uh, folks have better uh, development STLC processes than Microsoft or Google or, or Apple? Who believes that, really? 
But you're argue, you're not arguing that there's no place for AV. That we need to be watching for all threats coming into uh, the system. You just made the argument that Windows 10 is uh, mature and robust because of Defender, uh, which is an AV product. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I meant to say that code signing because of code signing because of the acidification of Windows 10s. Right, not necessarily by Defender. Okay, so if you def yeah. if you delete Defender completely from Windows, would you put that machine on the internet? Yes, totally fine with me. Uh, totally fine with you, but you you're not the, you're not mom and pop though, right? So let's again, we can't use our own personal experience as yeah. uh, making this decision. So it's a bad question. Not would you, but would you tell my mom to go on the internet without Defender? I'm just playing devil's advocate here, trying to no, find no, out if there's any need at all for AV protection. On, the, on an endpoint. There is. We, we can't make a case for that, but they actually need to not break the security boundaries of the operating system first, mm -hmm. right? So my entire, uh, you know, it was a screaming contest when I was working in the AV field that there is an open sandbox. Let's just download a damn thing and do all the parsing of files and detonation of network stuff inside the sandbox. Let not break the security boundaries of the default operating system. We're doing harm, right? You're taking something that's already robust by... But they're saying they can't see everything and block everything if you remove them out of that of layer. Of course you can. You, if you're a Chrome uh, user, that's how uh, things get rendered in a sandbox in a in a separate unprivileged process. AV can do the same thing. I am a privileged process. I can send this file, if it's a PDF file, to be parsed in a sub-process that runs in a sandbox and that is not privileged. And if, it, if it's so logical, why aren't they doing it? Is it uh, are they taking a performance hit that they can't uh, accommodate? Not, not at all. Not, there's no performance in whatsoever. It's just that it's monolithic. It's old. They use things from early '90s. Uh, there are uh, there are third-party DLLs that they use to unwrap files or parse compressed files uh, that they don't even have the vendor around. Right? They're just using that DLL from 15 years ago. Because, you know, uh, you might receive an attachment with a certain compression 7-zip or RAR, right? They need to run that. They don't even bother updating that. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, the damn thing is so monolithic and so complex, it will just fall apart. So... <laughs> how, long, how long did you spend at Avast? Uh, about two years. Post-acquisition, about two years? Yeah, about two years. And they are, by the way, uh, going that route. So they are breaking into, into sandboxing components. That was my main drive, I would say, uh, hoping that this will happen. And it resonated, uh, at, you know, at, at, at that location. And I think there will be more folks coming this way. Silence, for example, at least uh, it was refreshing to know that they wrote most of the AV in C, C Sharp. It's a managed language, right? At least you can say, well, most of the memory corruption issues will be handled by the managed language itself. So at least they bothered. Uh, they were relatively new, right? So they, they are starting from scratch and uh, they, they use the managed language to write the uh, the privileged part of the AV. They didn't use sandboxing, but if they add sandboxing, at least we'll have one AV uh, that is not breaking the security boundaries of the default operating system. And that's been my argument against that, right? Do you think we'll see an AV product out of Google? That would be great. I mean, a lightweight version, why not? Uh, they, they can just uh, do the same uh, wonderful things that they did at Chrome. Uh, they can sandbox all the surface scratching all the parsing code and they could have one privileged process uh, that could be you know uh, very light uh, robust by the way i mean you know uh, open bsd open SSH, all these tools have been doing that for a long time uh, the 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 privileged part of the process is very light audited heavily doesn't do any complex uh, parsing of data structures 
and everything that needs to be complex uh, is put into sandboxes and and you do interprocess communications to understand what are the results from that detonation or parsing. So yes, if anybody can do it, Google can do it, right? Uh, but then again, uh, what is the need, right? So let's think about it. If the malware based on binary and executable formats disappear by let's say 2020 because of code signing, like it did disappear on the iOS platform, what is it that they're gonna do for us, right? Uh, I've been hearing you know, creative folks uh, from Symantec talking about uh, PowerShell and script uh, scripting malware. I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe maybe that could become a thing. But going back to the our mother's uh, question, I'll just delete those scripting executables from their from their stock Windows uh, 10 uh, installation, and you know, I still don't need an AV. So I, I'm not really convinced. Besides uh, social engineering, phishing, all these deceptive things that are targeting the individual. I think the core operating system vulnerabilities and exploits are, are you know, a dying breed. Uh, you mentioned Tavis and the Project Zero guys have been very, very harsh on on the the fact that AV introduces more risk uh, than it than it mitigates uh, because of all the things you just talked about. And there's a you know obviously you can't not pay attention to uh, Alphabet Chronicle Google owned. Um, a uh, big uh, threat intel product coming with uh, data driven from virus total uh, so google's entire that entire security business is driven by data provided by av providers or given to them by submitted or whatever sparta that vt virus total uh, setup how do you how do you balance this av is useless it introduces more risk to a company that's you know, heavily reliant on data from AV providers too. And again, I mean, maybe FIDE, uh, where are you getting your data for this whitelist from? Is this something you manually generate yourself or are, are you, uh, you know, getting data from third parties? The, the whitelists are, are listed by the vendors themselves, right? They, they kind of let you know about uh, what is the, uh, the infrastructure ranges when it comes to IPs and, and domains. And, but also, yeah, we do, we do uh, generate. On the blacklist side, yes, of course, uh, we do use you know, um, uh, Threat Intel, we use open source uh, lists, uh, you know, the, and, the, and we generate our own, our users source that. But uh, by the way, I don't want to categorize uh, the entire use cases behind AV. Uh, is uses. I mean, they do a lot of interesting things. For example, cleanup, right? I found that to be useful. Uh, they, if, if the AV comes with a cleanup utility, uh, perfectly fine with me. It's just that what I'm being critical about is that operating system, after two decades of work, are by themselves are pretty robust and resilient. Uh, they are breaking that boundary. That's the part I'm critical about, right? So uh, it doesn't mean that they're completely useless. They can provide VPN services. They can provide cleanup services. They can provide, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, um, cleaning up of browser extensions that you downloaded without noticing. They can still do uh, basic hygiene work, but the way they operate, all the legacy stuff is basically breaking the robustness of the operating system that we have in front of us today. So that's the part I'm critical about. They you, can find a, a healthy balance without doing harm. <laughs> that, that's that's all I'm trying to say. On the on the research side, exploit writers like you and the, the Project Zero guys, and there's a general sense among you know some of the very very in-depth technical guys in the industry that AV is a complete waste of time. But I I think you and I will agree it's not going away. You mentioned Avas and Silence and some others, you know, uh, modernizing their approach to where they sit and how they operate. 
uh, is this scalable? Do you think all these AV guys can get up to speed or is uh, has that ship sailed? Sorry, uh, Ryan, I, I, that, that question didn't carry across. Can you repeat it? That's okay. No worries. Uh, it's a podcast. Five people are listening. Nobody cares. Um, uh, do you believe that AV providers can fix their existing infrastructure? Or you know, you mentioned you mentioned they're stuck in an old legacy environment. Do you think mm-hmm. it's Do you think it's fixable? That's the question. Do you think? Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Do you think they can all fix and operate as they need to operate in this uh, iOS iOSification of platforms? Yes, they can. Uh, it's not really rocket science. Uh, you know, there's open source examples of that. Chrome is one. There's a bunch of other. Uh, Adobe bothered actually. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, Brad, right? He was on. He was on your show. Yeah, so Brad Arkin. Yeah, exactly. They did great work. They took in the sandbox, open source sandbox. They put uh, Adobe Reader in it. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's it it is done. It's been done many times. They just have to replicate the same work. And I think it's resonating with some. Uh, they're going to take all the surface scratching code and throw it into sandbox uh, and, and, you know, separate out uh, what needs to be privileged uh, from what is doing, you know, complex uh, data structure parsing and detonation. And by the way, not just AV, let's put all the, um, you know, network security, endpoint security, all these folks that are opening new surfaces, new attack surfaces to attackers, they should all uh, take take a moment to really think. I mean, are, are we really adding more complexity and more attack surface to what we're trying to protect. I mean, I, the wonderful story behind some, you know, uh, hypervisor APIs nowadays that I hear just drives me utterly nuts because you have this, you know, de- thing under development that has been secured and made robust for over a decade uh, that you had run guest uh, operating systems under the hypervisor. Now they're saying that they're going to expose the hypervisor to AV so it can scan all guests at the same time. Well, that's what that's what's coming in Defender. I just heard that from a source yeah, that so, uh, Defender is going to live in the hypervisor. Exactly. So there are some folks uh, that are stuck in the old age thinking in the Microsoft as well. They're not old. You think that's a mistake? A, a huge one, of course, huge one. Again, they're breaking the boundaries that was clearly established for good reason. They're saying that well, now I'm going to expose all this, you know, uh, user-generated, internet-generated, you know, uh, data to the most privileged level at the hypervisor. It's insanity. I mean, that, you know, so they did all the work. Uh, they, 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 they established a lot of these exploit resiliency ASLR code signing, and now they're coming with an announcement like that to me is, uh, is a step in the wrong direction. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, let's end right where we started. How is Fight doing since launch? Are you are you happy with the progress so far? And uh, if we can finish up with, how soon can we expect an Android version? That will be putting my team on the spot. But I, I'm let's guessing, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing in two months uh, we should be we should be on the Android. Uh, and you have a dev team out in Portugal. That's right. Porto is uh, where our R&D is uh, based. Uh, and yeah, I heard it's like a, a hotbed for technology. They actually have like a, isn't there like a tech city? In, yeah, that might I be mean, in Lisbon. But Lisbon and Porto is doing great. We consider Porto to be untapped compared to Lisbon because, you know, you have Web Summit and all You're that. You're finding good security talent there? A uh, ton of it, indeed. Uh, well, on, on, the, on the data science as well, uh, on the data science, AI, ML, where... Um, we are, uh, you know, we're finding a lot of, um, let's say, yeah, but I don't want to give it away completely. <laughs> no, I was, I was hoping we could get through the podcast without mentioning AI and ML. 
That's right. That will fail. That's right. No, what I'm saying. You don't have a blockchain component. That's right. Let's let's cut that out. (laughs) Data science talent, uh, or or actually, some folks like to call it uh, data practice because there's not. It's not really a science according to them. So let's leave it at that. You're right. So Uh, things are going good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're quite happy with the progress. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, Sinan. Thank Appreciate you very much for the podcast. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck with everything. Hopefully, Thank we can do it again one day. I would love to. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. The Security Conversations podcast is presented by Bishop Fox, a leader in penetration testing, security assessments, and red teaming. Learn more about our services at bishopfox.com.